0: Partial funding for this episode of Fruit Bowl comes from Scruff, the queer dating app. More than 20 million members worldwide use Scruff to connect, meet, and express themselves on a platform that prioritizes privacy and security. Available on iPhone and Android.
1: And then he starts like, going in and then he's in and all of a sudden I'm like there like I am like this is amazing keep going (laughs) keep going I like come I don't even know like more than I've ever in my entire life like I remember like he leaves and I'm just sitting there like laying on my bed and I think like oh this is why people have sex I understand now like I've never really understood before.
2: Welcome to Fruit Bowl an oral history of queer sex.
1: My name is Andre, and I'm 31. Uh, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia.
2: This interview was recorded in September of 2019 in Oakland.
1: It's a very military town. I think of it as like the nexus of conservatism because my mom was a Southern Baptist. She was in the Navy for 20 years. Everyone in my environment was in the Navy, and it was in the South, so. I think that's a pretty good portrait of what it was like. Well, my mom was a single mom. Uh, My dad left when she was pregnant with me. Like, I was an only child. She was the first woman uh, to be, like, a jet engine mechanic. Um, And so she was in a super masculine environment. And she was very much, like... It's funny, like, I think of her as, like, this, like would be feminist but not really like because she like in some ways right she was very much breaking all these boundaries for women and was one you know this hyper minority but also she like very much adopted this like crude machoistic attitude right so I remember from a young age like people sometimes are like did you ever feel pressure to go into the military and I was like no not at all my mom was like kid, you're a pussy, so you better, she's like, she'd always be like, you know, you're a pussy, you cry too much, like, you really need to get it together, because I don't know what you're going to do, but you're definitely not going to make it, <laughs> you know, toughen up, so there was this very, like, tough love kind of thing um, in my environment, and so I knew from a young age that, like, the military was not going to be a, a appropriate route for me, but I had no idea what that would mean or where that would take me. Like looking back, like retroactively, I think people have just assumed I was gay like my entire life. Like there was never a point in my life when anyone thought I was straight. So I really liked to read and to draw. And so I had this like very vivid sort of imagination and this creative outlet, but also spent a lot of time by myself. Um, I was super isolated. Um, I think that's often true of queer people. But right, it's like we get to like develop these like rich inner lives that we don't necessarily have the opportunity to share with other people. Um, I didn't really know how to make friends, like my mother is like a very um, insular person and doesn't really have friends and so it was never really modeled to me. Like, um, like maybe there were two people who came over to our house like in my entire childhood. Mm-hmm. She wanted to keep people at a distance and she didn't really want to engage like socially. So. Mm-hmm. And I also wasn't allowed to go to other people's houses, like she was super overprotective. And so I think it was, like, a combination of, like, internal and external forces where just, like, I had no social skills. I didn't really understand, like, how to relate to people or, like, like, I think I was also, like, a little um, asshole. (laughs) Like, I think I was a little, like, kind of like a know-it-all, right? Like, I was, like, really smart and I was just, like, I don't know why people don't want to be my friends. I'm so much smarter than them. They should obviously want to be my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Puerto Rican, but my mom's not Puerto Rican. And like, I lived in the South and now the South is very brown, right? But then it wasn't. Like then it was like, we didn't ever know Latinos because we were poor, we were in black neighborhoods. I wanted to try out for the step team. Cause like my best friend was trying out for the step team. But then there was this very like, what are you doing here? You don't belong here, white girl. And I was like, oh, okay. And then like people couldn't pronounce my name. And, like, I didn't really think about that as being this, like, racial or ethnic kind of thing. And, like, we went to a very black church, which is interesting in retrospect, because I think in a lot of ways my mom is very racist. So it's like, what was it that made her feel comfortable in that space or be, like, drawn to that space? Um, We went to a Southern Baptist church, which I feel like is, like, a whole other level of church. It's like... Uh, Very fire and brimstone. Like my mom used to say, like, if you're not afraid of your soul when you leave, then you haven't really been to church. So it was very much that. So lots of crying on my end in church. Lots of being, like, singled out. Why? Uh, Well, because I wasn't saved, um, which is the whole thing. Like, at the end of every church service year, they're like, you know, if you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart as your Savior, like raise your hand or whatever, and then they would come over one by one and just like scream and just be like, Jesus died on the cross for you. Like, he he bled through his hands for you. Why are you not rejecting, you know? And I was be like, I don't know why. I just, it just doesn't seem right. I don't wanna lie. But it was funny cause I didn't, I both didn't believe, but I also felt really like sad and disappointed that I didn't believe. And I also felt like, I can't lie to God. <laughs> I was just like, I don't really believe in God, but if there is a God, I can't just like lie, which I feel like most people would have just done. I think that's what all the other teenagers did, right? But I was like so earnest in my like disbelief (laughs) that I like submitted myself to this like singling out and sort of beratement that would happen and I would just like cry. And so yeah, so that was my church experiences. My stepfather, my mom ultimately got married. And I remember my stepfather and I would go to Sears, and I really liked going to the electronics section and like playing with like the little stereos and like video games and stuff. And I remember my stepfather came and like got me and was like, "You're not allowed to come back to the electronics section like alone." And I was like, "Why?" We always come here, and this is always what I do. I don't want to, you know, whatever, look at housewares. And he was like, well, there's a he-she that's over there. Like, look at them. Like, you know, you need to stay far away from them. They're probably a child molester anyway. And so, so we had to, like, leave. And I just remember being really, like, you know, like, confused and upset. And, like, I think upset on some level that was about identity that I didn't totally get right but I was just like what that person doesn't seem bad like why why is it that this person is so bad that I'm not even allowed to be like like within eyesight of them or something right like what is this like like it's so bad that it's like contagious or something and like somehow you're gonna like catch it or like be influenced by this like aura of sin you know i think there's like this this very christian idea of like this aura of sin that's somehow going to like bleed on to other people but yeah i just remember being really like sad and upset about that
0: so it was a trans woman
1: i presume i don't even know that i i don't think i saw this person it was like i became aware that they existed because they were like something to be feared When I was like in fifth grade, we had a mentor program um, and I was like paired with this person. So she was like my mentor. And I remember someone coming up to me and being like, what do you think she's like? And I was like, oh, she's fat. <laughs> this is the early 2000s. And so, right, fat meaning like Cool. But then they were like, oh, fat stands for pretty hot and tempting because you're a lesbian. And I was like, I'm not a lesbian. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck that meant. But it seemed bad. I'm like, I'm not a lesbian. Don't, like, you fucking asshole. I'm going to punch you. You know, I got in lots of fights. So I, like, went home and my mom's like, why did you get another fight? And I'm like, they were calling me a lesbian. I don't know what kind of bean it is, but it doesn't sound good. And she was I was like, what's a lesbian? And she's like, we're not gonna talk about this. (laughs) When I was like a little kid, my mom, she was stationed in Sicily. And so we went to Rome on a vacation and uh we went to see these like uh you know legendary sort of statues like the statue of david or whatever and you know all of them have genitals uh they're anatomically correct and so i was like mom why does that boy have a ponytail between his legs (laughs) and she was like uh well because have ponytails between their legs and I'm like it looks weird and uncomfortable (laughs) And she's like well maybe it is sometimes and then she like did proceed I guess while we were on the topic to sort of give me the rundown of like you know that boys have swimmers and then my dad's swimmers were really like athletic swimmers and so they like made it and now she doesn't want to have any more kids and so she had her tubes tied and so I definitely just imagined like a doctor cutting her open and that there are these like clear tubes and that they like tied a bow and like sewed her up you know
0: so she continued calling the penis a ponytail between the legs like she didn't correct you
1: yeah, I, th- I think that she just, like, went with it. I mean, I was probably, like, four at this point in time, so. And
0: so that was <laughs> anatomical um, about yeah. sort of bodies and how they're different.
1: But what about sex? Uh, yeah, we definitely never talked about sex. I was in school in Virginia, so it was abstinence-only education. So I remember it being, like, a big deal that we were going to have the sex day, you know, and like separated the genders and... Um, and then I remember coming in, and on the board, it was like, objectives. It's like, go over 25 ways, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, oh, my God, there's 25 ways to have sex. I was like, this is crazy. Like, I was ready to have my mind blown. I'm like, what could that even be? I'm like, mouth, But I don't even think butt was, like, in there, right? But I was just like, whoa, 25 ways. And then she comes in, and she hands out a worksheet that says, 25 ways to say I love you without touching your partner. It was like, cook dinner together, talk about feelings, you know. Um, So that was my sexual health education. Um, Thank you, Virginia Public Schools. I just wasn't really interested in sex. So I didn't really talk to people about it. Like, I had some vague idea that it was something that teenagers do. And it was something that made parents mad when teenagers do it. And some people get pregnant and that's the worst thing that can ever happen to you. I think that was my general understanding of sex but I didn't really probe further into it because I wasn't really that interested in it and to some extent I found it really alienating because I wasn't really interested in sex but I didn't really feel like I could say that and so like I remember for instance people always like oh who do you have a crush on like who do you think is cute and I remember just like making up this guy in one of my classes and being like oh lol and I remember like um Drawing like his name with like hearts around it or something in my notebook so that way people would see it and it would seem like a more credible claim that I had like a crush on him. (laughs) 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 Oh, I was definitely just like really resentful that this thing kept coming up that was like, I was like, oh, can't we just talk about something like real or interesting? Like, why do we have to talk about this thing? Why is someone like, why is it that other people around me's attention is increasingly focused on this thing that I'm not actually that interested in and can't relate to, but also I'm, like, making up these lies to seem like I am interested in it. So I just felt really, like, uncomfortable. And, you know, I think part of that was also around, like, being trans, right? And sort of just having, just having I think on some level, like, I knew I just had all this other stuff to figure out first. As you know, I guess if you're not identifying really with your body, the idea that you would be naked in front of someone else just seems terrible. Um, and the idea that you would ever, like, have pleasure from your body was just, like, not something that made sense or that I could relate to. Years later when I, like, went to the bathhouse was at a point in time which I was, like, so comfortable with who I was and with my body... And that I was like, yeah, I do look good, and I am sexy, and, like, my body can be a vehicle for these experiences that could be really, like, exciting and interesting. None of that became true for me until, like, far after, like, transitioning, like, socially and physically and, like... Um, having this like social network and validation. I guess I feel like it's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of thing where I'm just like, there were just all these prerequisites um, that I just like didn't have. (laughs) From a young age, I was pegged as like being a dyke You know, I kind of hung out, if you will, like even like at school, like with the queer kids or with like the outcasts, which are like largely the queer kids, right? And so I think that's part of the, when I'm like, oh, even though I wasn't doing queer things, right? Like I wasn't dating queer people or having crushes or I was very asexual, but at the same time, people were like, you should come over to here. Like, you know, there was always this like, queer people were drawn to me and I would be like, oh, I guess I'm just a really good ally or something. So when I was in college, this is around like 2006, 2007, I started identifying as asexual. And that was around the time that uh, there actually was a documentary that came out about David J, the founder of the Asexuality and Visibility Education Network. And he came out with this podcast. So it was really like this burgeoning moment in which asexuality, well, not being mainstream at all, I would say like started actually like having a presence online and where people were like coming together and saying like hey this is what we are and it's not weird or maybe it's weird but it's not um pathological right um so i started identifying as asexual and because honestly i had never i'd never had a crush i'd never really thought about having sex with someone um and so then when I get into college and I'm like, oh, this asexuality thing is part of a queer community, maybe. I'm like, well, maybe that's the kind of queer I am. And like that was very, I think I found a lot of solace in that, I guess, as someone who had always been on the outskirts of, you know, communities. The idea um, that there were other people like me, you know, was very comforting and so I got kind of into like asexuality theory, right? And this idea of like that you can map all these different aspects of your sexuality was exciting to me. Um, there's like the gender that you're attracted to, which is this very traditional way of thinking about your sexuality. But then this idea of like, well, how sexual are you? And also there's a lot of people who are on the spectrum in the asexuality community. And I was kind of like, I wonder if I'm on the spectrum. like, um, And because I'm like, I don't really understand people ever. <laughs> But I think the the kink was really appealing to me because it was something that wasn't sexual, but that had characteristics of like that, like intimacy and that connection. And that was in some ways also this like personal journey of like pushing yourself and exploring, you know, what makes you tick. Like I was always very interested in like psychology and I had experienced a lot of trauma. Like I was... Uh, in a domestically violent household growing up and was very much sort of like coming to terms with like, what did that mean for me? The only kink group that I found on the internet that was in Vermont, which was like hours away. And I get there and no one is under 50. (laughs) So I'm like 18. (laughs) There's like all these grandparents around. um, And there was like a, a wax pouring scene and the bottom, the demo bottom, uh, was this trans woman, and I just remember her being like dressed really fabulous, and not in this like um, hyper feminine way necessarily, but in this sort of more fantastical way. And she had all these tattoos, which I thought was really cool. Cause like where I, because you know people in the military don't have that many tattoos, you know. So it was like where I grew up, people didn't do that. So I was like, whoa. Um, And then she gets naked and they start pouring the wax on her and the guy is like doing the demonstration. And then he starts like misgendering her like during the demonstration. And so I remember also like being really upset about that, not really understanding why. I was upset, but also just being, like, this person's being really vulnerable and is, like, volunteering, and we're all learning from this person's, like, willingness to be vulnerable, and you're going to be a jerk, and you're not really, like, caring for her in this way that feels, like, important. Um, and, and, but she was really nice to me, and she was really, like, saw... I think saw me being trans. Like, that's probably the first time someone saw me being trans. Yeah, so, like, I don't know. We had, like, had this, like good conversation and so that made me be like oh I definitely feel like I'm kinky and want to do this but also made me feel more guarded made me feel like well I don't want to do this with the wrong person I don't want to do this with someone who's going to like stand in front of a room full of people and like you know be disrespectful to me so that planted the seed but I wouldn't be able to really explore that in any way and honestly still I haven't like I think just now I'm in a space where I can explore kink uh, in a very different way than I've ever been able to. Yeah, I'd say about the time I was 19 is when I start, like, recognizing that I'm trans and sort of, like, you know, and it's kind of a slow process where I'm, like, spent wanting to spend time with trans people, and I'm just like, oh, I'm so inspired by this community. I just It's just so intriguing. I just want to support them. Uh, I'm in college at Marlboro College. It's in a tiny town in Vermont. Uh, yeah, it was rated as one of the queer-friendly schools on all one of these websites, you know. I wanted a place where I could feel good, Because people had kind of said to me, and again, this goes to people thinking I was queer early on. Like, I worked at a Panera and my manager was like, oh, you should definitely go to Massachusetts. People would love you in Massachusetts. You just, if you ever get the chance to go to Massachusetts, just go. And this is in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And I'm like... Uh, I don't really know what this guy has about Massachusetts, but people kept bringing up Massachusetts, which in retrospect was totally because they were the first state to like have gay marriage, right? And like on the East Coast, right, they were like the gayest state, I guess. And so I had this vague idea that I'm like, well, if people who have seen more of the world than me, like, think that, you know, I will fit in there, I don't know what that means, but I definitely don't fit in here. So I mean, maybe let's try it out. So I go to this New England Transgender Pride March, and there's this person there, Dane, who I had met before at this, like, queer youth center, and so I'm also straight edge. And so it's like I have this very abstinent, like, sort of, like, monk-like lifestyle of living with 300 people on top of a mountain. I don't smoke or drink or do any kind of drugs, and I don't have sex, and I'm, like, 20. So that's just, like, the opposite of what everyone else is doing with their life at that time. And so I start volunteering, going to this New England Transgender Pride March, and I go to this like vegan sober after party, and there's no one there. <laughs> um, and then I'm just standing there. I was supposed to meet up with someone um, for this like date, and then she doesn't show up. And so then this person walks in the door, who I had met at a queer youth space called Dane, and she's like, hey, do you want to eat together? I'm like, great. So we end up eating together and we end up staying there and we talk for like hours and hours. No one ever comes to the party. It's just us in a vegan cafe in Northampton, Massachusetts. So then uh, afterwards I was like, oh, do you wanna come to my house? You know, and again, I'm like really socially awkward at this point in my life. So like, it doesn't even occur to me, you know, that I'm like making a move, but I I can see in retrospect how like that was maybe how it seemed. So I'm like, let's go to my house. And, well, so
0: you proposed to go to your house.
1: Yeah. So I was like picking her up. Um, without and, knowing <laughs> it. Without knowing it. <laughs> um, and so I go to my, so we go to my house and it's fucking hot. And so the basement's the coolest area in the house. So I like have her in my little basement and we're like, I have like music on and there's like, you know, the like trashy, like lighting, like from Target or something, you know, on my little futon on the floor. Um, very romantic vibe. And so we're, like, laying, sitting on the couch and talking. So we talked for hours and hours, and it's, like, late into the night. She was a Smith College student, and she was just, like, the epitome of what you might, like, a stereotype, right? Like, she was, like, Birkenstock-wearing flowy dress, like, very Jewish. Her parents grew up, or she grew up in a very... Um, Uh, affluent Jewish suburb of New York and so she's dual majoring in queer theory and Jewish studies and so like we're having all these great conversations about queer theory um and like these are the kinds of majors that they do not have at my tiny college and she's a slam poet and so there's this point where she starts like serenading me kind of like with this poem um and At the end of it, and she's like, and she's this very performative person, right? And so then, and at the end of it, she's like an inch from my face, and she's like, can I kiss you? And I am like, totally caught off guard. I'm like, what? (laughs) Why would you kiss me? (laughs) And she's like, "You, you picked me up, and you brought me to your house, and... I recited poetry to you, like, why, like, what do you mean? You don't want me to kiss you? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you need a billboard or something? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't do that. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I don't kiss people. And she was like, what? <laughs> so then we're suddenly like having this whole feelings conversation, right? And so then she's like, okay, well, can I spend the night and can we cuddle? And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, so we like cuddled She spent the night She went home in the morning So then we start like hanging out um, We hung out every day for like a week Because I'm like uh, unemployed And figuring out my life And she's just graduated So we just We both have all of this time, right? And then on like the third or fourth night Or something that we're like spending the night She was like I remember her telling me this thing That actually I think Is like one of the most eloquent ways Anyone's ever framed like consent And she was like so I'm allowed to want anything that I want, but I'm not allowed to expect anything from you just because I want it. And I was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. But so then she was like, well, these are things that might be fun to me or that I kind of would like to do with you. And, um, and so then I was kind of like, well, that sounds okay. That sounds scary. I don't know about this. <laughs> And I'm like, well, I guess we could try it out, and if it's bad, then we can stop. And so we end up in this like very tentative way, losing my virginity, and it's really like thoughtful and warm and emotional and connected and um, utterly lesbianic, right? Um, and it was like really sweet. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, that wasn't bad. That wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> was it fun? I don't know that I would say it was fun. I felt like, yeah, I think that my, I went from being like super anxious about the idea to being like, oh, okay, that wasn't that bad.
0: <laughs> Did you want to experiment more after that?
1: Yeah, like together. So then I up we end up falling in love and then she's like moving, of course, like a week later. And so we have this like not long distance relationship. It was totally a long distance relationship where we're like talking on the phone every day. And, um, and I ended up like meeting her family and... Um, yeah, and so, like, we do have sex sometimes in this relationship, and I feel good about it, but I don't know that I was, like, I guess I saw, sort of saw it as a vehicle of, like, connection, you know, that was, like, oh, like, I really care about this person, and so this is a way that we are, like, sharing, like, this intimacy and this connection, um, but I don't know that, like, the sex itself was, like, oh, it didn't, like, make me say, like, well, now, like, I flipped the switch, and now I totally just want to have sex all the time, you know, I mean, I feel very grateful that my first experience was with this person who was really thoughtful around consent, right? Because I think especially now that I'm, you know, hook up with like cis men a lot, like it's just not at all the norm in that community and that I just feel like I would have had a really negative. There's a lot of ways I could go wrong, right? And I feel like actually this person was like a really perfect first person. Um, because she was all of the thing, you know, she was like, just like the perfect sort of fairy god (laughs) queer, uh, that would like usher me into my like sexuality. I dated a couple of different people after Dane. Um, and so then I had sex because that's what you do with someone that you're dating but it wasn't like i was like thinking about sex or like seeking sex you know mm-hmm. um like to me i say like that big turning point was i had moved into my own apartment for the first time in chicago around the time i'm like i don't know 22 or 23 And um, I uh, am like, wow, i had always lived in giant houses with a bunch of people, like anarchist houses or like punk houses, you know, where there was this like infinite drama and also like zero privacy. And so and I had been like in these anarchist communities that were very like hedonistic and there was this idea of like, you know, um, like revolutionary, like sex is revolutionary and it's like going to bring down capitalism because like, you know... Uh, enjoying our bodies. so I think I like had been is, is like this like revolutionary act that like you know the connection and revelry in these relationships is like fundamentally uncapitalistic. And so I think I had been like attracted to this idea of sex as being this like political act and but I still wasn't necessarily sold on sex itself, right mm-hmm. um, I still was kind of this monkish, um person right that was like spending all my time reading not drinking not fucking and it was like when I lived by myself I was like wow like I could do anything what are things that I suddenly had all this time (laughs) because I wasn't constantly talking to all these people who I lived with and I was like it was very isolating actually I kind of didn't like it but I was like well what are the positive parts of this experience which is kind of lonely Um, I was like that means I can do things and so I'm like sitting around thinking about it I'm like you know like oh I could do something like risque I could have sex with a different kind of person or a different kind of sex that was like wild or crazy somehow and I was like I could have sex with a dude and I was like oh I'm going like no that sounds really straight and I was like wait but now I'm a dude I could have sex with a gay dude and it was just like it had never occurred to me before and I was like oh that doesn't sound nearly as bad like I was like hmm maybe that could even be fun and so like after it occurred to me it was funny like how could I have never thought of that before but I still had like a lot of anxiety like oh what if I don't like it I think do I really want that I don't know I've never even seen a guy naked um and so I went on uh Craigslist um and I posted an ad Um, And I I miss Craigslist so much because you could just be really explicit and really detailed. And so I wrote what I'm sure was like fucking the longest Craigslist ad ever that was like, so I'm trans and I'm interested in anal sex, kind of, sort of, but I'm not sure. I'm looking for someone to try it out with, but someone who's going to be chill and like if it doesn't work out, isn't going to be like angry. And because, you know, my my fear was around like trans people getting like murdered by sexual partners or something. And, uh, and so I let, wrote this like lengthy thing and, um, I had tons of responses. Like it turns out that the idea of sort of deflowering this like virgin in a way, it was like this very appealing prospect, but you know, like a bunch of them were like really rude and obnoxious. And, and so there ends up being someone who I'm corresponding with. It's like, i this correspondence takes place over like a week, which is a long time in like Craigslist time. And then he like texts me one day and he's like, I'm driving by, let's just meet up. Like, you know, we can see what happens. And so he comes in and he had just left a Cubs game and he has this like thick Chicago accent and he's just total like this dude from the suburbs. And he's like, he's like, you know, Hey, what's up? You know, he just like thick ass Chicago accent. He's like, uh, he's like, and so we talk just a little bit and then he's like, you know, do you want to make out? So we make out. And, um, and then he's like, do you want to like go for it? And um, I'm like, I don't know, maybe. And he's like, all right, you just got to remember three things, right? You just got to one, you got to use lots of lube, like, like, you think you have enough, but it's not really enough. Like, just keep going, you know, just like slather it on, you know, like you're swimming in it. It's perfect. And he's like, uh, "And two you want to make sure that you're, uh, you know, going slow, right? Like you, you, you be the guide, right? So you just, you, so you can like put it in if you want, put it out if you want, like stop, you got this. Uh, And he's like, and uh, three, you know, like we can, we can stop anytime, you know, like it's, it's chill, it's not a big deal. So I'm like, okay. Uh, So we like sort of start going for it and, you know, and it's like having a little trouble at first. And then he starts like, going in and then he's in and all of a sudden I'm like there like I'm like this is amazing keep going <laughs> keep going so we end up like having sex it's this amazing experience I'm like I like come I don't even know like more than I've ever in my entire life and then and it's so funny because he's like not the kind of person that I'm attracted to at all like he's just like very broy. He's wearing like a Cubs jersey, for God's sake. Um, But at the same time, like he was perfect, right? Like I feel like similar to how I feel about Dane as like that he was like thoughtful, patient, like had the right attitude and was just like totally uh, a great person to kind of usher me in to like anal sex. And I was like, this is why people had sex. Like I remember like he leaves and I'm just sitting there like laying on my bed and I think like, oh. This is why people have sex. I understand now. Like, I've never really understood before. Um, and so then I'm like, well, how do I do this again? Uh, and for some reason, it never... I didn't approach him about doing it again. I think that I, like, knew that he wasn't really my type. But... And so then I, like, start seeking out, like, opportunities and sort of, like, cruising, like, in these online spaces and whatever, running into, like, logistical difficulties around anal sex. Like, I'm glad that it just happened the first time. I don't know how, because every other time there's, like, you know... Oh, you're too tight. This person's not hard enough. There was like always, you know, something that like the stars had not aligned. And so I remember feeling like, I don't know, after trying like five times and like it not really working out, it was like, maybe that was just that one time. (laughs) And maybe I'll just never be able to get there again. I'm like, well, at least I had that once. (laughs) But that was not, it turns out, the case. So I feel like after that, I was kind of like, suddenly interested in sex and also became excited to learn about all these like gay male subcultures that are like totally surrounded in sex. Like that, that was like the, the easiest way to meet people actually. <laughs> and that was when I started to sort of fantasize about this idea. Like I was reading the red times square, blue times square, which is like this like Samuel Delaney piece, which is like half like dense theoretical stuff about like the relationship of capital in the gay community and then in gentrification. And then half is like these vivid descriptions of him visiting uh, gay sex theaters in the Times Square before they were closed down. And so being like, whoa, you know, so he like just describes all these experiences and characters that I had like never, you know, like imagined and he's like in this circle jerk or doing this bukkake scene in public in a theater in like a dingy back alley. And I'm like, whoa, I totally want to do that one day. um so I think that that uh yeah that just definitely sort of like fed this like excitement for the first time around like oh what would it be like to be in these kind of places and meet these kind of people and to be like is that something that I want like and I think that that's why like now I guess I identify more of this way of like I think like fagginess is really hot to me like this idea of like Just like things that gay men do that like nobody else does, I feel like. And this like idea of like filthiness or like public things is like all of that to me. There's like this whole like mystique, I guess, around sort of like uh, this like wanton displays of like celebration in your sexuality and in um, those experiences. That's really kind of like beautiful to me. And like there's definitely a lot of problems with like gay male culture that's actually the thing that's like beautiful and that like just gay men do really well and I think that like even in all my other queer communities you know I feel like I know people who are like oh man I wish I could have a women's bathhouse or I wish I could have a trans bathhouse or like you know I wish I could go into like a dingy like phone booth and get a hand job and go home, <laughs> on my way home from work you know so that's how I became a slut <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's
1: a good memoir title. <laughs> By time I am in Chicago and I'm starting to like be a community leader, right? Like I'm co-leading this like gender queer Chicago, this support group for gender queer people. And so I'm meeting like hundreds of trans people all the time and people are looking up to me because I'm like the first trans person they've ever met a lot of times. And so I go from like never having any friends to like having all of these friends and like being the support person for people and being this respected pillar in the community and everyone um, is really like warm and embracing. And it's just like amazing, like just my like, night and day like all of a sudden it's like you know like I'm a, I'm a part of this community and it's thriving and so at this point in time is when I'm sort of like curious about exploring things and so Steamworks is there and like the Chicago Steamworks I guess is like the uh, flagship Steamworks in the country or something it's like three floors so I had heard all of these um stories about it And it just sounds like mythical, right? It's like, you know, there's all these different spaces. It's the opposite of a church, right? Like this is exactly what grandmas in the South are terrified of, right? It's like, wow, it's a space that was created for this like hedonistic impulse to be just like purely uh, experienced and shared in this like free way. And I was like, I totally want to try that. But I was also like, well, I'm trans, and so how are people going to respond, and is that accessible to me, and am I going to get kicked out, and like, you know, the different kinds of rejection, and, and so like, that was all like very scary to me, um, and majority of my sexual experiences had been with women, and so like, you know, I think queer women have a lot of negative ideas about queer men in terms of like, you know, not being very consent based and like, there's just like a whole different set of ideals, particularly around like sex, safer sex, consent. Yeah, so I think that I had been very much encultured into that idea, those ideas around sex. And so I was also scared of a space that was the most uh, extreme and aversion of all of those things. And so I remember it was like, I think it was like Thanksgiving weekend cause it was like all my friends were out of town. I didn't have anything to do. I was feeling a little mopey. It was getting cold cause it was Chicago. And I was like, I wish I could go somewhere. I was like, I'm kind of horny and frustrated. I'm also feeling like socially frustrated. And I was like, I'm also like, I can't even go outside. And I was like, if only I could go somewhere where I could go in a hot tub, like it would be great to be in a hot tub. And then I remembered that like, I'm like, and I was like, oh, but none of those places are in the city, and they're all really expensive. And I was like, well, I hear that Steamworks has this incredible hot tub that can fit like fifty men or something. Um, and I was like, maybe I could go there. And I was like, yeah, I could just go there for the hot tub and kind of like check out the vibe and see, you know, if it would be something that I could attend in a more like sex-oriented way later. I think it's just, like, I had thought about it a number of times, but then there was just, like, one day when I was just, like, the right combination of, like, horny and also feeling, like, uppity, right? I was, like, if those bitches kick me out, I'm going to bring the fight. Like, I have enough trans friends. I'm, like, I'm going to, like, have a protest. We're going to, like, come for them if they fuck with me, right? So I was feeling, like, okay, I'm ready to, like, both feel energized and, like, strong enough in who I am that if people are assholes that I can, like, not be sort of like hurt by that, but also that I felt like I was like ready to like take on this like bigger fight if this became this like bigger thing. And so then I go and I get in there and it's definitely disorienting because it's absolutely like laser tag. Um and it's just like all these like black hallways and they're going in all these directions and all of a sudden there's like dicks protruding out of everything. And so I'm like starting to get comfortable. I'm in the hot tub. I'm like this is everything I've ever wanted. And then I get out and there's like a cute little fireplace. It's like a fireplace. And there's this guy who comes over and he's like, oh, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, he's cute. Yeah, I want to talk to you. And then we start talking and I'm like, wait, he's clothed. Like no one is clothed, right? You're like wearing just the towel. And then I'm like, oh, wait, he works here. And then I'm like, oh, my heart like sinks. I'm like, oh, this is when I get kicked out, right? He's like, I am the bathhouse community engagement coordinator. And I just got back from a bathhouse conference. And I'm like wait, what, like, I'm a community engagement coordinator, but like, the bathhouse has one? (laughs) Um, So I was just like, totally thrown off by that. I'm like, wait, the bathhouse has conferences? Um, And he's like, yeah, so there was just this like, training about trans men, like, including trans men, and how to create a welcoming environment. And so I really, uh, you know, we've trained all of our staff and how to be more trans competent. um, And we really want to up our game. So would you like to be a secret shopper? (laughs) like a bathhouse secret shopper and he's like we'll give you like some comped rooms you know like you can like come a few times just as long as you like tell me how your experience was and let me know if there's because he's like because you know the practice is different people can be trained but are they really gonna you know do the right thing when the situations come up and i'm like yeah yeah i'll be a bathhouse secret shopper So yeah, that was like my first experience at the bathhouse and it was beautiful to like see different bodies and see all these different kinds of men. Like I hadn't really seen naked men before. like. So to see men that were like, some of them had big dicks, some of them had little dicks, some of them, you know, like some of them I was like, oh, your dick's not really that much bigger than mine. like some of, there were a lot of people who are like immigrants. There was like this racial and class and language, like diversity that was just like totally different than what you see in any kind of, even like in the club, you know? And like a lot of people were getting action who were like really old or really fat or really hairy or these other things that are supposed to mean that like nobody will ever wanna have sex with you, you know, like, and I think that was just like really beautiful to me. And I was like, oh, like maybe there's also a place for like a trans person here, like that I can find someone. Um, And also just like in going to those spaces, the idea of like consent was definitely really different than like women's communities but also was very like nonchalant and low stakes. So it's like, if someone is like, if you say no to someone, they're like, oh, okay, like happy hunting. Like, you know, there was this idea that it wasn't a big deal to say no to someone and that they'll go find someone else. And so I think that made me feel a lot more comfortable too, where it was like, oh, I guess I can approach people and they might say no, but they don't, generally don't say no in like a nasty or mean way, you know? I think it definitely helped me develop a lot more confidence because what I found was that even though, like, when I was on apps and stuff and people were su- super ignorant about trans things, um, it would just be like, trans, what is that? Or, like, would assume I was a trans woman a lot of times, and so they'd be like, oh, do you still have your dick? And I'm just like, you don't really understand what's happening here. I'm like, I'm the other kind of trans, and they're like, what? There are other kinds of trans, you know, there was just like... All of this um, ignorance and then sometimes like a lot of like nastiness, right? Like people that would um, call me like a bitch or a pussy or like a um, grinder and whatever. They're like, oh, like you're just you know uh, impersonating a man, or all these like really transphobic things and just stuff like that. Like so that was kind of my assumption about this is what gay men are like because this is a gay space and. If people say this on this space, they're just being more honest than they might be in real life, but this is what they think. And so it was interesting to go into the bathhouse and have it be such a generally positive experience. Like maybe in going there like 20 times, maybe I had like one or two negative experiences. But even that it was like there was someone who was like yelling at me or like one time this guy like smacked me. And then these other three guys came and like picked him up and carried him out and they kicked him out of the space, you know? Yeah, it was just generally a space that was, um, I don't know, just where people were actually a lot more open-minded about things that they maybe still didn't understand or know. Like they wouldn't say, oh, I'm interested in trans men or whatever, but they're like, I think you're hot. Let's do something. (laughs) one of the things that's like frustrating to me about being trans is that I'm I'm in this weird, like, I feel like I'm sort of trapped in this loop where it's like the first handful of times I had sex with a cis man, it was like, wow, this is new and exciting. I'm not sure what it's going to feel like. And I'm not sure like what you want with your body. And like, we like, you don't know that either. And we're like exploring this territory together. And then like, I was like, now, I'm like, oh, I've had sex with a lot of cis men, and it's more or less the same, right? And so it's not, obviously, every person's different, every experience is different, but, like, it's not novel, whereas on the other foot, on the other hand, for cis men, it's novel to have sex with me. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, they're constantly, like, losing their virginity. Like, they always say these things, like, oh, this is my first time, I'm not sure... Uh, I want to feel it out. I don't, you know, like there's like all of this like trepidation and uncertainty and like, I'm constantly like the starter trans person. And so I think like in that respect, it's kind of weird because it's like, well, I'm 31. Like, you know, most of my sexual experiences aren't the first time that I've ever done X, you know, but for other people, it's almost always the first time they've ever done
0: X. In a way, then you are initiating them in a similar way that you were initiated not because there were virgins and had sex for the first time but because you were their first trans experience yeah. yeah but do you find yourself getting impatient with that or can you still kind of put yourself in their position having gone through that yourself
1: um yeah i definitely find myself being over it <laughs> Well, and I mean, honestly, that's part of why I moved to the Bay Area is that, you know, Chicago, while being the third largest city in the United States and in a lot of ways being this big metropolitan area that has all of these, like, social dynamics that are emblematic of, like, large American cities, also it's a the biggest town in the Midwest. And so everyone who comes to Chicago in the queer community came because they were often, like, the only like white boy in Iowa who is gay and so they get to the city and then they have all of these like their exposure is still so minimal to so many different kinds of difference right and so they come to the city and they're like shocked that they're immigrants and they're shocked that they're black people and they're shocked that they're trans people like there's all of these ways that people are like they were seeking for themselves the um freedom to be whoever they want and yet they don't necessarily make the connection that that's what all these other people came to the city for as well. And they don't necessarily know how to be culturally competent with all these other groups of people. And so I think that's a big frustration for me in the gay community, I guess, um, in Chicago, was that in a lot of ways it was very, had a very small town vibe. So I found that they're just like, trans competence was really just low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like unsexy. <laughs> Like, having to explain and, you know, like, trying to explain these things, and especially as I've become a trans educator on a national scale, like, I've led a hundred workshops about trans competency and supporting trans students, and, you know, I've led all these support groups. Like, I don't want to, like, the, you know, it's not, what do you call it, foreplay for me to, like, hey, baby, let's talk about terminology when I met men from New York or from San Francisco, when I was at like IML or International Mr. Leather or these other like events, I would say like, so I'm trans, just so you know, like I'd be very defensive about it. And they'd be like, yeah, okay, it's fine, whatever. Like my last boyfriend was trans, don't worry about it. Like they were just un sort of fettered by it and also had had previous experiences, but not in a like creepy sort of fetishy way. It was just like, oh yeah, great. Mm-hmm. that led me to feel like oh what would it be like to try to date in an environment where there was just a general knowledge or understanding or familiarity with people like me um, mm-hmm. so I uh, I made a rule that I wasn't gonna hook up with people who had never hooked up with trans people anymore so I think that was a turning point for me was being like I think that was when I turned 31 and I was like Okay, like I'm a testosterone. I'm like horny. I want to have these experiences, and yet, like, a lot of these experiences were in some way kind of negative or felt really compromising um, in terms of what I wanted to do, the kind of sex I even wanted to have. And so I was like, is it really like worth it to feel like yeah, it feels good in one way, but also it feels kind of crappy in all these other ways. And so. I was like, yeah, I'm going to only have sex with people who have hooked up with a trans person and who don't seem creepy and who are willing to like agree to have the kind of sex I want to have, which is like sad that that would be like a turning point because I'm like, why isn't that just the baseline? But I think that like when you're in a more marginalized community, there's like this idea that you aren't as desirable or, you know, like there's... Like, this idea that you're not coming from, like, the empowered position in this, like, negotiation. So, like, you're the one who has to make the compromises. So, because I had had so little sex in my life up until the time I was, like, 25, I think that I, like, suddenly felt this desire to, like, make up for lost time. You know, and part of it was also, like, being in this this big urban environment where there's, like, so many people to choose from. So I started, like, hooking up with people on, like, apps and in the bathhouse and in backroom bars and in kink basements. And, like I say, now I see it as, like, an extension of the fact that I'm someone who's really, like, gregarious and outgoing and warm and I love to meet people. And I think all of those same qualities are true. It's just, like, in a more sexy, in a more sex environment, that looks like being maybe more, like, slutty, you know? Like, I'm like... I want to be open to new experiences. I'm curious, um, yeah, I'm just curious about people and the different kinds of connections I can have with people. So then you end up going into, you get into all these environments also that you don't necessarily expect. And so I had a meeting with this guy from Grinder, and I normally have people come to me because I felt like safer that way, but this guy wants me to come to him. Um, and so I like ride my bike. It's like the middle of the night. I like get up to this building. I remember it being like this particularly impressive building that I'm like locking my bike up in front of, but I don't think too much about it. Um, And I kind of like go around the side. And so then I start coming up this hallway and it's like, there are these Virgin Marys, like on the wall, like every like five feet. And then I get into this living room and there's like a giant crucifix hanging over the couch. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is, I guess it's very religious. I'm like, that's kind of weird, but like, whatever. So then uh, we like make out a little bit on the couch. And then he's like, do you want to go into my room? And I'm like, yeah. And so then we go into the room. But the bedroom has like a dog door in it. And it's also kind of only like a half of a door. And so we go into the room and we start making out. And like the dog comes in. And the dog is like really excited. And so he's like kind of like trying to kick the dog out, but the dog keeps coming in cause there's a dog door. And so then there's a point where we're like making out on the bed and like, I think he's starting to start to like get handsy. And then the dog jumps up and starts humping me. And I'm like, ah, oh, like what the fuck? Like, I'm like, what the fuck? this is weird and he's like oh don't worry about it like he just does that sometimes i'm like no this is like what no no i'm not gonna like i'm not sharing this isn't a threesome with your dog like what the fuck and so i just am like totally weirded out and i'm just like yeah because he had seemed kind of off but i was like whatever like i'm horny i'm already here let's just do this and then it just like got progressively more awkward and then like the dog humping thing i was just like no tap out And so I like go downstairs past all the Virgin Mary's and then I go to unlock my bike and I like look up and I realize it's a funeral home and I'm like, oh, he's a funeral director. And so then I like go home and I'm just like block. I'm just immediately like, oh my God, I am never going to leave. Of course, you make these promises that you don't mean. Um, where you're like, I'm just maybe I just shouldn't hook up with people off of Grinder. Like this is a sign, like it could go wrong, it could go so horribly wrong. Um, so yeah, so that was my most creepy uh sexual experience. <laughs> yeah, well I'm a bottom. I, I think that like my strength uh is in like just being a like, kind of a power bottom, you know, like Um, like, being someone who's, like, very, like, enthusiastic in my interest in getting fucked and also being someone who can, like, last a long time. And I feel like often, um, people will be, like, a little bit, like, shy or hesitant. They're like, oh, should I, like, keep going? I'm like, yes, keep going, do that, more of it. So, like, I'm very encouraging, um... Like, I'm also very loud, and I think that people really like that. Like, when I'm, like, really enjoying myself, and, like, especially, like, as I get, like, closer to coming, I, like, kind of, like, I don't even know. Like, I have this, like, growl kind of thing. And it's just, like, I just feel this, like, very, like, animistic kind of, like, feeling. And I think that that is something that gets people, like, really excited, because it's just, like, they can tell that I'm, like, like, it's never, like, Oh, did you come? Like, you know, it's like, so it's sort of like I start with this like growl and then it just like, I don't know, just like gets louder and it can like shake the room a little bit. (laughs) Like, sound. And yeah, I think that that's something that people get really excited about. Um, What does the growl sound like? Oh, God. (laughs) I can't do it now. (laughs) I guess uh, people have to, you know. Just take my phone number, look me up on the internet, uh, call me, and maybe you'll get to hear the growl in person. So. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm just a lot more comfortable with who I am and with my body than I've ever been, like every day, you know? I also am like a lot more comfortable asking for what I want and like connecting, like telling people like and connecting with them who are like looking for more similar things. So, yeah, I mean, I think my sex is always getting better, like the kind of sex that I'm able to access. To me, it does feel very, I don't know, I guess that idea of like, oh, sex can be revolutionary and undermining capitalism. You know, like that whole idea I was exposed to when I was younger, like I think more and more about that. As it's like, I think it is revolutionary to be a trans person who fucking loves sex and to be able to be someone who can feel really empowered in my body and having this experience through my body that makes me like so grateful for having it and to be able to share that with other people. In this way where especially like as I'm being more, I guess, particular about the kinds of sex I want to have and more expressive about like, oh, I only want to have the kinds of sex I want to have. Like, you know, like I think the more that I'm like empowered in those interactions, the more that I feel like, I don't know, just I feel very like powerful in my sexuality. Which is interesting because it's also like, I'm also like a bottom and I want someone who's like dominant. And like, I think that that's something that I'm really attracted to. And so, and in some ways it's harder to find someone who's like more powerful than me in that way, right? Like someone who can like respond, because I'm very like bratty, I guess. Um, But someone who can kind of like respond to that in a way that is like, you know, the je ne sais quoi, right? Like the right amount of like sort of like aggression or dominance that sort of can meet that and like actually... You know, like step up to that in a way that's like not being a dick. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I just feel very like powerful in my sexuality. And that's just something I never could have imagined five years ago or like 10 years ago. Um, And I'm more open to things, you know, and that's where it's like this idea of like kink, right? It's like, oh, I'm actually open to a much wider range of things. And I'm like, well, let's try it. You know, like I was listening to one of your podcasts and there was the guy with the balloons and I was like, well, I've never, you know, had sex with someone while popping a balloon, but I'm like, meh, let's try it. You know, I I have this much wider and more open um, way of relating to sexuality, and I think that's part of what I'm excited about. And uh, is because I just feel like there's so many things we've never talked about as trans people thinking about sex, and uh, there's so many ways that we have to learn and navigate other people's expectations, sexual health, like um, the relational dynamics. You know, like. I'm excited about helping other people who are trans also feel empowered in their sexual experiences and feel like it's something that sort of enhances their lives in this, like, beautiful way. Um, Because I think there's just so much trauma that, like, people in my community have. And that's, um, especially as I have sex with trans folks, you know, a lot of my sexual partners have been trans folks. I don't know, that's just, like, it's something that kind of feels like it looms large, like it's difficult for people to feel, like, safe even and it's just like, like it makes me sad that most trans people are like seeking just like to feel safe in a sexual experience but it's like that is the prerequisite to having any of these other feelings also how do we help educate people in how to support us and have, help these experiences be more like nurturing and positive and sexy and fun and exploratory so yeah that's just something that I feel really passionate about. Try anal sex. <laughs> that's my number one. <laughs> uh, yeah, if I had tried that sooner, <laughs> yeah. and that's something that's gender. It's not necessarily tied to gender, right? Um, so. What's so great about it? What's so great about? It? I don't know everything. I don't understand how other people don't love anal sex. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just it's really intense. Uh, I'm a very intense person you know and so I just really like that it's like it's really intense it can take like a lot of focus it's like I don't think about anything else like everything else sort of disappears in that moment of like being really like connected it's also like uh, logistically you know you're like collaborating to make something happen that sometimes is a little like fraught and so I think I really like that sort of teamwork aspect of it it's like a kind of funny like camaraderie this. It's weird because I don't feel like I would give myself I would tell myself to do anything differently necessarily. Um, and that's why I say like I think that I've been really uh, lucky and fortunate um, because I didn't have sex when I wasn't ready for it and I did when I was and I met people who were amazing, kind caring people who helped me have good experiences so
0: Like I love that guys to be. Three <laughs> rules for anal sex—they're kind of perfect. Would you add anything to that list?
1: Ooh, when I started using poppers, it did like change the game. That was definitely something that helped. It be like go from like, all oh, right, this is gonna work five percent of the time, to being like, this works ninety-five percent of the time. So, you know, poppers, if you're open to that, can definitely help uh, a bottom have the experiences you want in a more consistent way. And then, uh, yeah, positions, different kinds of positions work better for different kinds of bodies. So definitely, like, some of the times when it didn't really work out is because someone was really trying to make it work in a specific position. And it's just like, you know, switch it up, see what works. Um, Oh, yeah. Cleaning out. Like, cleaning out, when especially when someone is particularly well-endowed. It's like there's a proportional amount of effort in all of the ways. You know, so it's like, you know, I think that it can be a really amazing and particular kind of experience to have sex with someone who has, like, a really big dick. But also it means that, like, it's going to take more time. It's going to take more loop. It's going to take more patience. It's going to take more preparation. <laughs> But it it can be also worth it, for sure.
0: And if you had to choose a favorite position that works most of the time, what would it be?
1: Oh, doggy style. Okay. For sure. I agree. (laughs) Classic. Classic.
0: Classic.
1: for trans people, like don't put up with assholes. I guess if anything, that's the thing that I regret is like, you know, feeling like I had to put up with assholes in order to have sex. And that whether that was like people who are pushy about not using condoms or people who are pushy about having front sex, because everyone watches this porn, this like man with a pussy porn, and it just like totally, like skews their perception of what you know you're interested in. So like like really being in touch with like what you want and not necessarily like compromising just because some people are really pushy. That's like so important and you're worth it. And if people don't wanna have the kind of sex that you want to have, then they're not worth having sex with.
2: Fruitbowl interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive and watch original videos. Fruitbowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people and people of color, it's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Help support Fruit Bowl's efforts to collect, Archive and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and occasional bonus content. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Syra B. This has been a production of cubed media, LLC, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.